I am so thrilled to be able to teach the first two chapters of Exodus. I, it's like I, I get the best blessing of all to kick us off in this book. And the question that our teaching team wanted me to answer right from the start is why Exodus? Why Exodus? We just finished the book of Matthew. Some years ago we did Genesis, but why now? Why Exodus? Let me just um, kind of whet your appetite. Exodus is going to give us a huge view of God, a huge view of the sovereignty, the power, and then the intimate love of God. We can't even begin to understand the rest of the Bible if we don't understand what is referenced so often and what God did in this book, Exodus. It is all built upon this narrative of God's rescue and his revealing himself. Um, I even think of the life stage of our church. God's faithfulness in the past at every turn to lead his people and provide for them is gonna give us great courage as we move forward as a church and as the Lord leads us into our future. I'm excited to see the continuity of our God, same to them as he will be uh, for us. Our worship is going to increase. Guys, as we see that God is the promise maker in Genesis, we're also gonna see that he's the promise keeper in Exodus. He is faithful to what he has just said. It's a continuation of what he has just said. We're gonna see that in the book of Exodus. We're gonna see this, and this theme is the theme of the book, the rescue and the revealing of God. God rescues his people and he reveals himself. That is the theme of Exodus, and it's almost balanced. The first half of the book through chapter about 18, we will see the rescue of God. It'll be amazing. But then why? So that he could reveal himself to us and we could be a people that worships him. It wasn't just for people back then and there. It's for us now. And I think it is going to increase our worship. They entered into a relationship with God. We will enter into a new covenant relationship with God through Christ. And perhaps maybe the most worshipful part of Exodus is that Exodus will echo the person and, and point forward to the person of Jesus Christ again and again and again. As Moses was their high priest before God, so we will see in Jesus the greater high priest. Moses, who went up on the mountain to get the words of God, we will see Jesus ascending the mountain to speak the words of God. Moses, who received from heaven bread of heaven and water from a rock, we will see in Jesus the one who is literally the living bread of God and streams of water, the Holy Spirit, pouring forth from God. Our hearts, I think, are going to be filled with worship as we see the clarity of even the person of Jesus in the book of Exodus. I can't wait. And honestly, I, I just get the best part by kicking it off this morning. So we're going to share some selected verses. Emma Gale read the whole thing. We're going to key in on some aspects. But what you'll see, I think, is this. God rescues his people, and God reveals himself again and again through these two chapters and all throughout the book of Exodus. Let me read the first few verses. And they were already read. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Each came with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The total number of Jacob's descendants were 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, here's what I want you to know. This guy, Jacob, he's also called Israel in the Bible. So when you see the word Israel, it was actually first referring to a guy, Jacob, who had 12 sons. And this family was a continuation of promises and God's faithfulness in the book of Genesis. So I want you to get your bearings as we begin a new book of the Bible. And that's why I'm going to pause a little bit on the front end. God was 
continuing a rescue effort already. Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden and God had thrust them out of his presence. The rest of the narrative of the Bible is how to get back into the presence of God and how to enjoy fellowship again with God. This book is going to continue that narrative because though they were thrust out of the presence of God, God, in his effort to bring mankind back into relationship with him, would start with Abraham. Let me read a few verses from Genesis because Exodus will continue it. Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this was always God's intention. I'm going to start with one person to bless all of humanity. He would start with Abraham But in that promise, he was also promised, I'm going to give you a land. And this part of the promise had not yet been fulfilled. In fact, just a a few chapters later in the book of Genesis, there is a promise that his people would go into exile. And I want you to see this. And this would happen before they're given that land. Genesis 15, that same group of people, God says to Abram, then the Lord said to Abram, know this for certain. Your offspring will be foreigners in a land that does not belong to them. They will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward, they will go out with many possessions. And so Exodus is the continuation of that story. They did go into captivity, all of them. Joseph was already there, sold into captivity. The brothers would head into that place. They would flourish for some time, but then they would be in a place of captivity for 400 years. And guys... Egypt became like an incubator for the Jewish people. They came in 70 strong. They would go out probably 2 million strong. God was going to be faithful to to fulfill his promise. But you need to know, Exodus is built on Genesis, right? It even begins in the Hebrew with the word and, like just continuing the narrative. So we're going to see God's continued faithfulness to these people. Now, let's zoom in. Joseph was already in Egypt, and look at verse 8. A new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. So Joseph and those 70 that originally came there, it was like free room and board, right? I mean, they were under a pharaoh that loved him. Joseph, second in command, things were great. A new pharaoh rises up and everything changes. Everything changes. It turns into a horror story. It goes from bad to worse. The The new king is afraid, you're going to multiply, join our enemies, leave us. And so they began to cruelly oppress him. But bad goes to worse when, as if slavery wasn't bad enough, that pharaoh, maybe one of the most evil men in all of human history, declares a genocide, not just on a people, on infants. Because the spirit of abortion was alive and well in Egypt long before it ever hit this country. I mean, kill the babies. Oh, don't worry about the girls because the Egyptians could marry them and more Egyptians. Kill the baby boys because though they would never marry Egyptians, they'll marry their own kind and multiply. Kill the boys. And that was the environment. That was the hardship going on. Forced labor, slavery, and a declared genocide. And it's in that context, interestingly, 
that we don't see first Moses as the great one to deliver God's people. We talk about the rescue of God. Sometimes if you've been in church a little bit, you might hear, oh, Moses, I've heard that name before. Guys, long before Moses was one who would deliver God's people, the first ones God would use to deliver his people are the Hebrew midwives. And they would deliver them literally one baby at a time. <laughs> you know, it's like they were delivering the babies. And it is said of them in verse 17, check this out. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live. Guys, these women were under a command, kill the baby boys, and they just wouldn't do it. They would rather fear God and take the consequences than listen and bow to the pressure of culture. And I just want to draw attention. The rescue of God had begun. The rescue of God's people had begun, and it was by these courageous women. I was blown away just teaching a couple of weeks ago on the resurrection of Christ, how it was the women who were so full of faith. There it is, death. There it is, Jesus' burial. There it is, resurrection. And here they are setting a pace going, we refuse to bow the knee. We talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and other heroes of the Bible. I'm telling you, these Hebrew women, serving one family after another, refuse to compromise. Guys, I'm inspired, aren't you? But these godly women feared God and did what was right in the eyes of God. Well, the rest could be gone, and now, as we move to chapter two, we're gonna zero in on one baby that gets rescued. His name is Moses. Let me read the first four verses of chapter two. Now, a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with asphalt and pitch. She placed the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Then his sister stood at a distance in order to see what would happen to him. It says the woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Look, we rejoice. We rejoice when people get pregnant. It's like we saw Josh up here playing the piano day. Marissa's just about to give birth. She at least hasn't gone into birth just yet. And if she has, you're an awful husband, Josh. Why are you here? You know, like, no, she hadn't gone into birth yet. But like, guys, we ex we're excited when babies are born. We're excited when we hear, oh, did you know she's pregnant? Can you imagine the horror of finding out you're pregnant in this culture. The fear that it might be a boy. The certainty that your child would be executed. I mean, what would be joyful is horror. And then she keeps him hidden for three months. How do you hide a baby for three months? You been around babies? They're not the quietest things in the world. They're little noisemakers. Somehow. She keeps them hidden three months. And then, craft project, she takes a basket, <laughs> coats it with asphalt and pitch. Like, I just happen to have some of this from doing my roof. Like, she puts this little boat together and sends her baby floating down the river with Moses' sister running along the bank at a distance, seeing what would happen. Now, I sometimes think that when this story is taught, maybe even in Sunday school rooms, we have kind of a cartoon visual of this little event. It's something like this. Here, here's one cartoon. 
Um, oh, there, yay, baby Moses, you're, you're so good being quiet, you know, look at us as we, and we're all smiling. We wouldn't be smiling, but they're smiling. Yay, it's a craft project. You're going to go in there. It's your little boat. It's Moses' boat. You're going to be HMS, whatever. And then, and here, here's another one, and, and this one isn't a cartoon. This is like a picture I found on a Google image. Moses, basket baby grows up to deliver his people. <laughs> I'm not a shipbuilder. But I don't think that's seaworthy. Look at that basket. There's no way, you know, uh, maybe the project wasn't done. I'm just saying that we talk about this story, and sometimes it gets talked about like, isn't that fun? Look at the smiling baby bobbing up and down. Just send them on down the lazy river, <laughs> you know. I want to put a different image in your head. Don't, don't think of that cute cartoon don't think of that adorable little baby. I want you to see a woman weeping. I want you to hear her crying softly so she won't draw attention. I want you to feel her terror. Moms keep babies away from water. What's it like when you're putting one in the water? I, I want you to know her desperation as she puts a child in the water and other children go floating by, going, God, please. I want you to see a sister doing all she can just to see if her baby brother will live. I want you to get a sense of the animals indigenous to that area. If the water wasn't terrifying enough, how about the African tiger fish? They're known as a piranha of the Nile. They attack crocodiles. How, how about the African knife fish, known to viciously attack anything that disturbs its electric field? How about up to 10 venomous snakes indigenous to that area, not to mention crocodiles, much more aggressive than alligators, not to mention hippos, the worst threat of them all? Guys, there was no floating cartoon. There was a mother begging God, rescue this child. Rescue, rescue, rescue my baby. This is desperation. This is trusting in God. And Exodus 2, 5 through 10 says this. Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe at the Nile while her servant girls walked along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds, sent her slave girl, took it, opened it, and saw the child. And there he was, a little boy crying. She felt sorry for him and said, this is one of the Hebrew boys. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, should I go and call a Hebrew woman who's nursing to nurse the baby for you? Go, Pharaoh's daughter told her. So the girl went and called the boy's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse him for me and I'll pay your wages. So the woman took the boy and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because he, she said, I drew him out of the water. What a rescue. Do you see it? Do you, do you get it? This, this boy goes from a life in the most desperate and dangerous of circumstances to be a Hebrew boy in a nation ruled by a despotic emperor to now floating down a river and now being in the most protected home in all of Egypt. Pharaoh's palace itself. Do you see the sovereignty of God? 
to take someone from a place of utter hardship to a place of blessing. Our God who rescues actually still rescues people. He still works. Not just in Egypt 4,000 years ago. Our God still rescues. Our God still hears. Our God still comes through. He can still be trusted. And then, well, should I get someone who can nurse? This is Moses' sister bartering a deal with Pharaoh's daughter. I got someone in mind, Moses' mom. No way. She goes, get this, from staying up through the night, shh, 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 nursing, trying to keep a child quiet so he would live, to now getting paid for nursing. What an upgrade. Come on, moms. I mean, what an upgrade that would be like. I just come to the palace. I'm getting paid to do what I was doing with fear. Oh, my word. And likely, if you put together the scriptures from the book of Acts chapter 7, when Stephen speaks about Moses, this man was educated. He knew the ways of God. Where did he get that? Where did he make his stand for God? Where'd that come from? I think Moses' mother, training her child as a small child, with the limited years she had, investing the truths of God in his life. That's a beautiful story of God's rescue. And how did Pharaoh ever allow that? I mean, did Moses' daughter, or I'm sorry, Pharaoh's daughter come home kind of like maybe one of your kids has, dad, you know, oh, I found it, I found it, it's a little puppy, I'll feed it and take care of it and bathe it and love it and hug it. Like, did, did she just come home and go, can I keep it? Somehow, in the sovereignty of God, in the provision of God, Pharaoh accepts into his palace the very child who would be raised up to deliver all the Hebrews from under his tyrannical rule. God was working mysteriously. God hasn't changed. He's still working mysteriously, still rescuing, still doing the unimaginable for his people. It inspires me. It grows my faith. It affects my prayer life, doesn't it? This is our God. This is not their God. This is our God. And he's still looking for opportunities to flex, to make himself known, to show how awesome he is. Well, Pharaoh did allow it, and boy, there's a lot of story, but you will begin to see the big idea early on, and it'll be up on the screen. This is the big idea of the book. I didn't have to get super creative for this talk. It's the rescue and the revelation of God begins. God begins to rescue his people, one baby at a time. God begins to reveal himself, his power, his authority, his sovereignty over all the movements of mankind. We see a great God in this book. And though I have to move along, let me just say this. God is going to raise this guy up, Acts chapter 7, Stephen will timestamp this event. He's probably 40 years old when Moses, who is connected to the people of God, sees one of the Egyptians beating a Hebrew. And in defense, he actually kills the Egyptian, right? He's found out and he flees, but he's 40 years old at that point. And I just want to ask the question, why, Moses? You got it so good in Egypt. Who's your grandpa? Pharaoh. <laughs> Why did you all of a sudden break ranks with Egypt and the future you had to protect a Hebrew? It's like you're, I know you're a part of that team. It's like you're siding with the wrong team, though. It could have been so much easier for you. I love Hebrews 11. And, you know, Exodus can give us a lot of opportunities to look in the New Testament to see what was going on here. Let me just read this passage. It's inspiring to me. 
Hebrews 11 says, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to his reward. Where did he get faith like that? I have to believe it was that mother. But he looked at all the treasures of Egypt. I'm telling you, that's a big bank account. Think of Egypt, all we know of Egypt. He had, he was connected and he goes, I would choose, this isn't taken from me. I would choose to go without that all. And all the pleasures of sin that endless money could give you and endless opportunities in a godless culture, okay? Just can imagine how the mind would wander. He goes, I would rather, I'd rather choose reproach for the sake of Christ. I would rather suffer than have that. And I would go, why? You sound nuts. At least that has some temporary pleasure. This is horrible. Because he considered reproach for the sake of Christ as of greater value. And he was looking forward not to just this life, but a treasure in the life to come. You're not thinking clearly, and I'm not thinking clearly when we choose the short-term pleasures of sin rather than honoring God. Sin does satisfy for a moment, just like juicy fruit. The gum, right? Chew it about seven times, and then you want to throw that glue out of your mouth. Sin is like that. I'm saying Moses is like, I'm smarter than that. I would rather walk with God. I would rather the eternal treasure of God. I'm just saying, guys, wouldn't we be inspired by Moses to go, you know what would be better than all the world has to offer with all of its clicks and all of its whistles and all of its shine and all of its promise? I would rather know Jesus. Walk with him. Make him known. Get on this team that feels a little bit sometimes like it's losing in this world that Christ will bring into his presence and reward. I'm telling you, the reward of God is worth it. It fuels us to live boldly for God in this life as we walk through hardship. Moses is, 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 is setting that pace. Let me keep going, though. Um, Moses then will leave. He's at the age of 40. He leaves. He, he heads to Midian, this, this place away from uh, Egypt. And he, and he came and he rescues these, these daughters from the shepherds and whatever, waters the flock. The dad's like, bring them home. Why'd you leave them there? You know? And all of a sudden he comes on home and he agrees to stay with the man. And the guy gives his daughter Zipporah to Moses in, in marriage. And guys, sometimes we just are moving really quickly and we're like, wow, that all happened really fast. It was like, oh, great job with watering the flocks. Um, pass the ketchup and here's a daughter. You know, like, I don't think it went that quick. A lot of time is passing, <laughs> floating down a river at three months, and now he's leaving at 40. Guys, he's about to stand in front of a burning bush. Next week, we're going to hear about that. He'll be 80 when that happens, <laughs> okay? If you wondered, ah, I wonder if God would use me much. I feel like I'm kind of getting older. 80, and God grabs him. We're, you ready now? We're going to go deliver our people from Egypt, 80. 
That's what he did between 80 and 120. <laughs> so God didn't put people out to pasture when their hearts are ready to be used of God. I'm just saying he's about 40, and probably he was there a little while before he got Zipporah in marriage, but God does give him this, this bride. He is out there. But I want to key in on the part of God revealing himself that I most want you to see. Exodus 2, 23 through 25. Read with me. It'll be up on the screen. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the Israelites, and God knew. Now, I have said that this book and this message is all about two things, right? God rescues his people. God reveals himself. God rescues his people. We have seen already God rescuing his people. The babies by these Hebrew midwives, the mother, Pharaoh's daughter. God rescues his people. We are already seeing that. But now this is such a tender and powerful focus on how God reveals himself. And I'm just going to guess that I know something about you. Sometimes my wife says that, like, Paul, I know this is true of you. And I'm like, I'm already offended. You know, like, you are already acting like you know me, and you don't know me, you know, and I, I can get in that place, right? Give me a little space. I think I know something about you. It's at least true of me. What you most want in life is not him. It's actually not her. It's actually not that little one. It's actually not the house you don't have. It's not the job you don't have. It's not the future you don't yet have. I believe what you most want, what your soul most wants, is the living God. I believe you were made to fully enjoy him with all your soul. I believe that Augustine was right 1,600 years ago when he says, our hearts will be restless until they find their rest in thee. And we are going to see just the tenderest, vision of God who reveals himself. And I'm telling you, it was true for them. This is our God who reveals himself to us. Let me, let me just one more time read those verses, and I want to key in on a few phrases. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor. And look at this. And they cried out, and their cry for help because of the difficult labor, look, ascended to God. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant. And look at verse 25. And God saw the Israelites, and God knew. God heard. God remembered. God saw. God knew. Look, their cry for help, it ascended to God. I think of a little helium balloon, you know, holding it down, holding it down, and boom, you know. We've all seen it. Little helium balloon shooting straight to heaven, it would seem. Just boom, out of our hands. Guys, I want you to know that if you know this God through faith in Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, your prayers do not bounce off the ceiling. Every prayer you have ever prayed ascends to God. Revelation 5 says that the prayers are poured out like incense in a bowl, poured out before God. It's like they ascend and they're poured out before God. He hears. And you go, ah, sometimes I don't think he's listening. No, he actually says no quite often. He answers every one of your prayers. 
No is an often answer that he gives. He's just a good father who knows what's best for us. And any good father who gives his kid ice cream every time they ask is not a good father. God hears. God hears. So prayers ascend to him, and God heard their groaning. I think of Mary Stewart or Tess or a young mother with a new infant. It's amazing. It, it, it's like they have got like this bionic hearing. They can hear a murmur across the house when a fan's on right next to their head. It's like, how did you hear that? Somehow, somehow mothers from a distance, a long ways away, just hear, what? No, that, I'm sure just a cockroach like burped or something. Like, there's no way that was a baby making a noise. And they're like, no, the baby's crying. You know, and they're just, because I'm telling you, God hears the faintest of cries, the smallest of whimpers. He hears. God, God intimately hears you. He hears you. And you might pause and go, wait a second. He left it. 40, and then it's 80 before they deliver and people. And Moses was three months old. That's at least 80 years of children dying. Was God not hearing them? Certainly they were praying right. Maybe. And at that point, we put our hand over our mouth, and we trust the sovereignty of God in unexplainable trials. God does allow suffering in his economy. He does. And he's not wrong for that. But I found myself musing on this. What if it took 80 years of trying to solve their own problem before they even began to pray to God? I know this. I'll spend a long time trying to solve things before I pray. Well, certainly I'm smart enough to do, you know, certainly I'll figure it out. Google that. I'll Google things. I'll ask people. I will try and solve. I will sometimes get in quite a place before I go. <laughs> I can't believe it. I hadn't even talked to God about this. Because is it possible that it took them 80 years of just tragedy going on around before they thought, wait a second, it's time to cry out to God. When they cried out to God, God heard their groaning. And then look at this. God remembered his covenant. He remembered his covenant. What does it mean he remembered? That seems to imply he forgot. No. God actually can't forget anything because, follow this, because he can't learn anything. Because he just knows. He doesn't learn. He doesn't remember things. He knows, period, dot, 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 all, past, present, future, just knows. He's using language we can connect with. Okay, God remembering. It wasn't, oh, I can't believe, you know. I... No, this is God probably waiting patiently so they humbled themselves, so they cried out, so their situation was desperate enough where they want him to come through. And then they cry out, and God's like, yep, now we are right back on path. To continue my faithfulness from Genesis, now I come down and rescue you. Now I come down. He remembers his covenant. And look, God saw the Israelites. God saw the Israelites. Guys, what a tender picture of the revelation of God. God sees. He knows. He's aware of Psalm 139 says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels. Look at that, God watching you as you get up in the morning. God watching you as you walk to class, as you go to work, as you get in your car, as you, 
God observes, travels, rests, aware of all my ways. Before words on my tongue, God already knew you were going to say it. Your eyes saw me when I was formless before you were a thing. A, a baby in your mother's womb. God's like, I saw you in that place when you were formless. All your days were written in the book. Before They were all planned. God sees, but God sees them. I remember when Josiah was a little baby. Guys, having our first baby, it, it, I just didn't know. That, you're, like, you're just so excited, so excited, so excited. And then you have a baby. It was one of the most anticlimactic experiences of my entire life. <laughs> it had nothing to do with Josiah. I, I just thought, like, day one, we're going to be hiking and camping and throwing a ball. And I just looked, and I'm like, this amorphous blob. All, all this child does is eat, sleeps, poops, cries. Like, it's pretty simple. And I'm like, man, I guess I thought more was going to be coming my way out of this relationship, you know? And I remember, I forget a lot of things that are important to me, which is a bummer to me, but this one I remember with crystal clarity. Josiah was, I don't know, maybe a couple months old. I don't have the date down, but I was walking across our little efficiency apartment, 155A, University Village. And when I say efficiency apartment, it took like two seconds to walk across the living room. It was like, done. <laughs> you know, it was, like, it was a small apartment. But Josiah was in a bouncy seat, like one of those little things. And, 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 and he, forever, it seemed like, all he did was like, you know, just he, like, he's just out to lunch, like burps, poops, whatever. And then, and then I am walking across one day, and I, and I look, and he does something he has never done before. Just stopped me. Just stopped me. It changed everything. The whole nature of our relationship changed when this happened. You know what he did? No, he didn't throw up. <laughs> he was already doing that. Come on. <laughs> What he did was he saw me. And as I walked, he watched me go across the whole room. I went, stop. And I was like, I'm on the map. <laughs> I exist. I'm on the grid. Like, you, you know me. You see me. You're, you were looking at me. You were following me across the room. You're aware of me. And all of a sudden, relationship began. It went from just, I'm doing whatever I can, keep you alive, you know, this end up. I don't even know how to do this, you know, like to fuss. You, uh, you're with me. You, you see me. Everything changed that day. I'm telling you how beautiful it is that the God of the universe doesn't merely see galaxies. He sees you. He doesn't just see cosmos, millions and millions of light years sees you in quiet places. He's listening. He's wanting to hear. He's ready, wanting to act. And he looks forward to hearing from you like a father does a baby. Our God sees. He saw them. He saw the Israelites in their groaning and their misery. He heard them. And in this last phrase, and God knew. That might be the most special phrase of all that touches my heart the deepest. God, just communicating, I know. My wife sometimes wishes, my daughters, just people, when they're going through trials or whatever, 
they, they want to talk with someone who can go, I know. I, I remember as I was thinking of, you know, um, this passage of one of the lowest points in our early life. We were anticipating our fourth child, and uh, the pregnancy was ending in a miscarriage. And I was driving Jenny to the hospital. And we first dropped by Tom and Joyce Driscoll's house, and we were dropping our kids off because we were going to spend a while in the hospital together. Very emotional, as you could imagine. And Jenny, just a wreck in the passenger seat. They took our children, and Joyce Driscoll, this godly older woman, walks on up to the passenger door of the, of the window, right, right where Jenny was sitting, walks on up. The window was down, reaches in, like holds Jenny's hand, maybe her arm, and just looks at her. They didn't say anything. It's just one woman communicating to another woman in a deep, soulish way. I know. I know. And I'm telling you, the God who hears, the God who sees, is also the God who knows. He knows. When he didn't understand you, and no one else can connect, and the depression feels so heavy, it would seem like you can't bust a prayer through the thickness of that cloud. God's saying, I know. I'm with you. I know. He enters in. I marvel at the power of a God who rescues, but my heart is touched by the God who reveals. And he reveals himself with such intimacy. And I tell you, as I look back at Exodus and look at the rescue and how God reveals himself, we now celebrate as a church the greatest way God could ever reveal himself. It's in sending his only son who most perfectly revealed God through Jesus who then goes to bear our sin on a cross. God revealed the God who loves, the God of compassion, the God who teaches, the God of second chances. This God would go to the cross to bear our sins and then rise victoriously three days later. This God who reveals himself like that is also the God who rescues. And guys, salvation that we celebrate now with communion is the ultimate celebration of how God rescues and reveals. It is through Christ. You need to know, as we step into this time, that we celebrate a God who is holy. I would encourage you, as the band's going to come up in a minute, to consider carefully taking communion. If you're not a follower of Jesus, that's fine. Today, you could become one. Come talk to anyone around you. would help you know how God could rescue you from sin and judgment. But this isn't for you. And if you're a believer, let God examine your heart. Communion every time is an opportunity to reflect, to see, am I taking communion in a worthy or an unworthy manner? If there is brokenness or sin you are holding on to and unwilling to deal with, please do not take communion. The Bible says you eat and drink judgment on yourself. Get that right. Go and ask that person forgiveness. Deal with that sin. Open up about that secret. And then... Come and take communion. What a beautiful story I heard of someone just about a month ago who was going to take communion and went, wait a minute, there is sin in my heart towards someone. I'm not taking communion. 
and a minute or so goes by, wait a minute, I can choose to forgive that person. I'm choosing to forgive them. Another minute goes by, now that I've forgiven them, I'm going to take communion. <laughs> Just so beautiful. Choose to forgive. It's not a feeling. It's always a choice. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, as we worship the God who rescues and the God who reveals, now we celebrate the greatest revelation ever of Jesus revealed and the rescue of God through the cross and the proof of the empty tomb. Oh, God, as we take communion, may our hearts be enthralled with you. Might we enjoy you, Jesus. May people deal with any brokenness that might be there. May our church be holy, be full of confession, full of repentance. We blow it all the time. May we come to you, be refreshed by you, Jesus, forgiven by you, and then celebrate you through your body broken. We celebrate that with the bread. Celebrate you through your blood spilled. We celebrate that with the cup. God, your body and blood given for us. Oh, Lord, we celebrate you. We pray in your name. Amen. As you're ready, you sing in worship. And as you feel ready and have sought the Lord in prayer, you come forward and take communion. There is communion here. There's a gluten-free option on this corner of the stage. And there is a, a, um, communion behind that back row also. Let's enjoy the Lord together.